Well, good morning. Uh, today is March 22nd. It is the fourth Sunday in Lent. My name is Tim Strauss. I am the deacon of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Petoskey, Michigan. Today we're going to talk about three responses to God. How do we respond to God in this season of Lent? We're going to look at three specific people. The prodigal son, the good Samaritan, and Martin Luther's response to the Black Plague. Please pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So today our Gospel lesson comes from Luke 15, 11 through 32. Most people know this as the story of the prodigal son. It is most likely my favorite story of all biblical times. It's one that Jesus told to the Pharisees, and he was making a point. And what you'll see here is there are two responses that we typically do when we are called in relationship to our Lord. The two responses are either we become self-pitying and rebellious, that we purposely go out of our way to act contrary to God's will, or secondly, we become self-righteous, thinking that we don't need God that we don't need God's mercy and forgiveness, and that in essence we're better than other people, and therefore we don't need that forgiveness because we are good on our own part. And certainly Jesus takes all of these excuses and turns them on their head. The story of the prodigal son uh, starts with this phrase, that a man had two sons. Now the younger one wanted his share of the inheritance before his father died. Can you imagine going to your parents and saying, you know, mom and dad, you've done a great thing. You've lived a great life. You've accumulated a lot of wealth. I don't want to wait till you die to get my half. So I want my half now. Now, most of us would be appalled at that thought of doing that to our parents. In essence, we're saying to our parents, I wish you were dead. You're not dead now. (laughs) Give me my money now. And this is exactly what the younger man says to his father. And surprisingly, the father figure says, okay, here's your half. And surprisingly, he gives it to him and he goes on to a different country. And in essence, what uh, Jesus tells us is that this man lives a wild life, a lot of partying. Uh, He spends it on wine, women, and song. And he spends it all. Now we know this is possible because we often hear stories of people who win a lottery. They won millions and they blow it all. It's not hard to do. And this is what happens to this young man. He takes his inheritance, which most likely was a sizable amount, and blows it on a lifestyle that can't be sustained. Then what happens? Then he gets to a point where he has nothing. And now he has no job and no money. And Jesus tells this story about this young man taking a job at a pig farm. Now this would have been the most humiliating of all things for a Jewish man because they did not eat pork and they saw pigs as unclean animals and clearly not kosher. So he is at the lowest of all points. He has spent his money, he's in a foreign country, he has nowhere to go, and he takes a job feeding slop to the pigs. 
he is so desperate that he even says, you know, even the food that I'm feeding the pigs is probably even better than I'm getting. And there's two key points here in the way that this young man comes to his senses. Number one is Jesus said that no one gave him anything. No one enabled this bad behavior. A lot of times we know people who are in a pickle and due to our own naive sense of help, we enable people to do the wrong thing. This is not the case for this young man. No one gives him anything. He doesn't get any extra help. He doesn't get any sympathy. He doesn't get a bailout. He has to come to terms with his own depravity and his own rebelliousness and his own sinfulness of how he would treat his father who loved him and cared for him. And then the second thing it says, Jesus said, and he came to his senses. There's a moment of insight, an aha moment, an epiphany that he is not what he's cracked up to be. He is not self-sufficient. He did not know how to care for himself and he did not know how to care for his family. The way he mistreated his father comes clear to him and he understands what a predicament he's in. By coming to his senses, he has a sense of renewal and repentance. And he goes through this kind of thought process. Maybe I'll go back to my dad and maybe my dad, he won't take me back as a son, I get that. But maybe he'll just let me be a hired hand and I could stay in the bunks in the bunkhouses with the servants and at least I'd have some type of job I'd have a little bit of security I'd have bed and food I would be willing to take that you see this is the turning point for the prodigal son and it's one that we must have in this Lenten season when we are outrightly rebellious towards the Lord when we are outright defiant of God's will sometimes there comes a point where we have to say to ourselves, you know, we're in the wrong. And we have to go to our Heavenly Father and tell him, I have no excuse. What I've done is sinful. Would you please accept me back in whatever way you will? This is sober thinking. This is thinking that can reunite a sinner to a merciful God. So our young man goes back and he's walking And he's walking a long distance to get back to his father. And you see, an interesting thing in this story is the father. This gracious father who is willing to give up half of his retirement is still looking for his son. Jesus said, as this boy was walking a long distance and from a long ways off, the father could see his son. Now, in the Middle East, in that culture, the head of the house was supreme. You didn't go looking for your employees. Your employees came to you. The culture was is that you didn't go out looking for those who were underneath you. They had to come and grovel to you. But here we have the heart of the Father revealed. He is looking for us. When we are rebellious and sinful, the Lord continues to search out for us and looks for us diligently, waiting for us to come to our senses. And then the interesting thing that I find is really fascinating in this whole story is that the father runs to his son. Now again, in Middle East terms, this would never happen. Fathers did not run. 
you made your servants run. You walked, and you walked slowly because everyone else had to keep up with you. For the father to run towards his son would have broken all social norms. It would have said to those who watched him, I don't care about how it looks. I am so willing to reconcile with my son. I'm going to give up my appearance and my pride because I want to reconcile with my son. So he does. And before his son can get out his whole spiel of what he would like to have happen, his father welcomes him back. And then he puts a ring on his finger. Now this is another interesting point. You see, the ring is not just a piece of jewelry. It's not a welcome home gift, son. It's a gift of partnership. In those cultures, when you gave a ring to the person, you were saying you are a full partner in this business. So this is the grace of God. He gives us and lets us do what we want, even when it's destructive. He looks for us when we are in self-destructive behavior. And when we come back to him, he, not, he doesn't put us in the servants' quarters. He makes us full partners in his kingdom again. And the grace of God says to us, when you come back to me, we are fully reconciled and we are complete business partners once again. And they have a great feast, of course. And so he throws a big party. So here we would think that's a nice story and that's the end of the story. It is not. You see, there's a second type of person and really it's a second type of way we deal with the Lord. The second type of person and the second type of way we deal with the Lord is to be like the older son. The older son comes to the father and says, hey, why are you throwing a big party for this dude? This is a guy who squandered your money. You made him a partner. And I have been here faithfully, and you have never thrown me one party. I have been here faithfully. Now, of course, the father, in his graciousness, says, Look, everything I have will be yours. So what he's saying to him is, Look, you're not losing anything. The father is saying, You have everything you need here. You're going to get your reward. You're going to get your retirement. You're going to get your estate. You're still a full partner. But what really is the grumbling is this older son is self-righteous. What he's saying is, I've done everything right, so I deserve everything this schmuck gets. The problem with that is he's just like the younger son, except it comes out in a different manner of self-righteousness rather than outright rebellion. Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees that they were the older son, that they were self-righteous, and that they thought that they did not need repentance or forgiveness. And Jesus was telling them too, you too are just like the younger son. So here we see Jesus calling us to repentance in different ways. If you have overt things that you're doing that are outrightly rebellious towards the Lord, then we repent. We have to come to our senses. And clearly the Ten Commandments tell us what those expectations are of the Lord, of us. So when we see them and we pray about them, we come to the Lord with open hands and humble heart, and the Lord will forgive us. If you are more of a self-righteous person thinking, I'm not like other people. Jesus had used an example of a Pharisee 
who had prayed in the temple saying, thank God I am not like other people. Jesus was just as harsh on those people and in many ways harder on people who had self-righteousness, who didn't feel they had a need for forgiveness and help. Now, a second story that illustrates the same point of the two ways we respond to the Lord is the Good Samaritan. This one's found in Luke as well, Luke 10, 25 through 37. Many of you know this one. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he encountered robbers who stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went their way unconcerned, leaving him half dead. Jesus goes on to tell the story that a priest came by and passed on the other side. A Levite also came down the place, saw him passed by. But then a Samaritan who was a foreigner saw him, packed him up on his donkey, took him to an inn and paid the innkeeper two days wages to take care of this man and heal him. And he also told him, when I come back this way, if he needs anything else, I'll pay for it. You see, the trick here was, and why Jesus told the story, the trick was from the Pharisees, he, they asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And the trick question was that at that time, many Jewish people saw only Jews as neighbors. In essence, if, if a person was not a Jew, you didn't have to be good to him. You were allowed to mistreat those who weren't of Jewish heritage. Jesus was saying, your neighbor is anyone who is in need. And we see again, two types of responses. The first response are self-righteousness. A priest going down the road not only takes his time because he doesn't want to be, quote, defiled. He doesn't want to become dirty or soiled, so he walks on his way. A Levite was a ruling class of religious leaders. They also didn't want to become defiled because they were self-righteous. But then Jesus picks a Samaritan, and this is a foreigner that the Jews look down upon. They would be the people that we would despise and look at lower class citizens than us. But it's Jesus who says, this is a man who cares for those who are in need and does it in the most godly way. So at the end, the punchline is, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved himself to be a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers? And of course, the man answered, the one who showed compassion and mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, go and constantly do the same. So our response here is the same as the first story. It tells us that we may not have the attitude of those who are outrightly rebellious, but Jesus is always watching for those who want to be self-righteous. Self-righteousness is as cancerous as outright overt actions of sin. It tells us that we are self-occupying, that we don't need God's mercy and forgiveness, that we can take care of ourselves very much. Thank you. And Jesus says, no matter if you have that attitude or you're doing something horribly sinful, it is the same in my eyes. And what Jesus calls us to do is to have mercy and compassion because we have received 
mercy, and compassion. We see this in the prodigal son. When he receives mercy and compassion, he is humble and grateful. I assume that this uh, Samaritan had an attitude of humility and gratefulness because he took someone on who needed help without any concern about what he would get back. Now today, as you know, the media is preoccupied with the coronavirus. Now we talk about our third person today, and that's Martin Luther. Martin Luther, as you know, was a reformer, and certainly we talk about him a lot. Uh, He was the one that started the whole Reformation movement. But Luther also had a pandemic in Europe. Many of you know that. It was called the Black Plague. The Black Plague killed 70% of people who contracted the disease. Now, when we think of the coronavirus, they're talking 1% to 3% of people might die. But can you imagine a 70% mortality rate if you contracted this disease? They didn't have antibiotics then. They were really terrified. And at that time, Luther was married, and he had a wife named Katie, and Katie was pregnant. And they lived in a town called Wittenberg. It looks like Wittenberg, but the Germans pronounce it Wittenberg. And they knew the Black Plague was coming closer. They had reports that people were getting sick, and it was moving closer and closer to their town. They had a decision to make. Now, they didn't quarantine because they didn't understand that, but what they would do is leave the area for a while, which makes sense. As the infection came closer, you would move somewhere else. And many people of Wittenberg and Luther's church connections were leaving. But they weren't sure if that was the right thing to do. They had a moral dilemma. Should we stay and minister to the sick, giving us a very high chance ourselves of being infected with the disease and dying? Or should we leave and save ourselves? And Luther had a very reasonable, sensible, but holy Christian response. And he said basically this, if you have your family taken care of, and if there are no outstanding needs in your family, it is fine to leave the area and to save yourself and not be foolish. And so he gave, in essence, permission and told people it was fine to leave the area as long as your Christian duties to your family were taken care of. If arrangements were made or you didn't have elderly people, go, leave, take care of yourself. He also said, however, if you have someone in your family who cannot leave or who is too elderly or sick, then you should stay and take care of them. Now, Luther had the same dilemma with his wife. He had a pregnant wife and he was a seminary teacher and he had to make those same decisions. And after, I would think, a long time of discussion and prayer with his wife, they decided to stay. Not only did they stay, they actively went to people's homes who were sick and made meals for them. They also opened their house to those who had the black plague and turned their house into an infirmary. Now, you and I may not be called to do that, That is really an act of faith that I think really takes a lot of prayer and contemplation to do something that radical. But certainly that is the type of love that God has shown us and asked us to show to other people.
You see, for Luther, just like the prodigal son, he sees grace and mercy have been shown to him. And so in turn, he turns that grace and mercy to other people. Martin Luther said that our ethics should be guided by gratitude. The term in Lutheran circles is ethics of gratitude. If we are grateful for our position with the Lord, then it compels us to show the love of Christ to other people. There's no self-righteousness in this, you see. You see, Luther could have said, I'm a Lu- I am a seminary professor. I have started a church. I have a pregnant wife. I am important, and I need to leave. That would have been the pharisaical thing to do. That would have been the older son speaking. That would have been the Levite and the priest on the road saying, I am more important, and therefore I should move on and get out of here and protect myself and family. But Luther understood his position with God. You see, he had come to the point to understand that the grace of God and the mercy of God was so profound to him that the Heavenly Father showed such grace to him by sending Jesus Christ to die for us and to raise himself for us, that he was compelled to show the love of Christ to others. Luther said it this way, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. What he's saying is we need to show the love of Christ every day because we forget the love of Christ every day. So today, as we look at the coronavirus, whether it's a huge deal or not, obviously people argue about that, we still are called to our neighbor. We are called to be that grateful person before the Lord who needs to show love and compassion to the neighbor. So in the season of Lent, one discipline is to have a grateful heart, to show mercy and compassion to those others, to find ways to love our neighbor. Now, who is our neighbor? Well, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said, anyone who is in need is your neighbor. So our challenge today, especially for this Lenten, is to turn our hearts towards gratefulness Thank our merciful Father for the love and mercy he has shown to us and to be prayerful about ways we can show love to our neighbor in this time and to do acts of service that show the love of God is alive and well in our heart. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. Amen.